So uh, I want to start with today with a story about a bird. Um, two birds. One is important to this story, but when I was 16, uh, my parents agreed to do something that they, we had never done before, never considered doing before. We had some friends leaving on vacation, and they asked us to bird sit. So uh, we, we, weren't, we didn't have birds growing up. We were a cat family, and uh, that's not where the story's going. Uh, but we, we were a, uh, yeah, we were a cat family, but my parents so graciously said yes. They probably shouldn't have. Shouldn't have. Um, but I was 16, and so we spent a week with these two parakeets, one yellow one, one bright yellow, and one gray. And uh, so I got pretty comfortable with them over the week. You know, you perch on your finger, get them up on your shoulder. You know, you know how people can become bird people, right? They didn't quite get there. Um, but I got pretty comfortable with them, a little too comfortable. Because one day, as my mom was bringing in groceries, I had a parakeet with me. And I walked to say, hey, mom. The parakeet was like a big yellow blur. It just shot off my finger right out the front door. You should have seen how horrified my mom looked in that moment. It was, it was something. So, so we called the vet. What do we do? How do we get this bird back? We found the bird up in a fir tree, like way up in a fir tree next to our house. Like, how do we get it back? They're like, it, it's not going to be easy. You know, I just put a cage out there maybe put, put its cage out there, put some seed, and just pray that it, it comes back. <laughs> so that's what we did, and we prayed for hours. <laughs> and there's no bow on this story. We gave up. And uh, so, so we gave up. The vet said that, the vet said that uh, it probably wouldn't survive the night because they're native to South America. So that's the sad story I'm starting with this morning. Um, <laughs> really lightening the mood around here. Um, yeah, it's sad. It's sad. You know, that bird, he was, he was flying to freedom. He was flying to freedom. But was it really freedom? It was short-lived freedom, for sure. The other sad part of that story is uh, we, we didn't really see those friends that much after, <laughs> after losing their parakeet. So if they happen to be watching today, I'm really sorry. Um, but today, today we're going to continue our series, God Plan, and we're going to talk about how God's plan relates to our understanding of freedom. What we have in, the, in, in Jesus, the Son of God, the light of Christmas, is true freedom. What that bird was chasing was total freedom. Total freedom that didn't last very long. But what we have in, in a baby king is true freedom. Each year at Christmas, we sing glory to the newborn king. Glory to the newborn king. We make a big deal of the arrival of Christ. Jesus came to establish the reign of a new kingdom on earth, his kingdom. His kingdom, and it's not bound by borders. It's a, it's a, it's a kingdom that spreads from heart to heart. And God's plan was that we would choose true freedom under his rule that we would discover who we were meant to be, what it was meant, what, how we were meant to live under the rule of God. So today we're going to look at a passage in the Old Testament that prophesies the arrival of the baby king. This passage speaks of, the ba of, of a child who would be born to a people who'd been suffering for a long time. 
who were living in darkness, living in oppression. And so this declaration of God came 700 years before Christ's arrival, when Israel and Judah had, had separated into two kingdoms, and they were both in trouble. They were both disintegrating. They'd been split into two territories for centuries. The northern kingdom, Israel, was, um, was starting to fall to a barbaric empire called the Assyrian Empire. Um, their two northernmost tribes, Zebulun and Naphtali, had already fallen. Judah was hanging on by a thread. It was paying tribute, basically, you know, leave me alone money, uh, to Assyria. And so it was a dark time especially for Judah. This prophecy came during the reign of King Ahaz. And we talked about a, a, another king earlier, Manasseh. Ahaz was a lot, a, a lot like that king. He was a young king, and he, was, he was, uh, committed himself to evil practices. He built, and built temples and, uh, to, to Baal. In Second Chronicles, it says he sacrificed his children in the fire. So he was so evil, in fact, it says the Lord delivered him into the hands of, a, of the king of Aram, and he took many of his people as prisoners. It also says he was given into the hands of the king of Israel, who inflicted significant casualties on, on him. It says that they killed 120,000 soldiers in Judah. That's devastating if you think about the total population is about 500,000. So this nation is, is experiencing a lost generation of young men. Second Chronicles said this happened because Judah had forsaken the Lord. So if you want to describe what's going on in this time, if you want to synthesize it down to one word, which Isaiah gets to, it's the word distress. This is a nation in distress. And God's people were living under extreme distress. And so in the middle of that dark time, the nation receives this word. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Isaiah 9, verse 1 to 7. We're going to go ahead and read that this morning. It says this, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. 
it's really important that we understand where this prophetic word is coming. It's in a, it's in a dark time in, in the history of Israel. And, and people were hopeless, and they were headed down a road where they were going to be in exile soon. They were losing everything. And it's to this people, a people that were on the verge of losing everything, that God says the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. I want you to notice that when this is spoken, it's spoken in the past tense. God said it, and it's like it already happened. God spoke it, and it's on its way. It's going to happen. That's how this prophecy is, is framed. God declares that a great light has appeared to people walking in darkness. Walking in darkness. The, king, the baby king was on his way, and nothing could stop it. Those who are currently living in darkness have seen a great light. And this is what we see in the story of Israel. You see a lot of cycles in the story of Israel, and it all kind of leads to this point. Here's the lesson from the history um, of God's people in the Old Testament, is that self-rule leads to distress. That's the lesson. Self-rule, apart from God, leads to distress. Every time they went their own way, every time they declared independence from God or said, you know what, we're going to serve this God for a season, it didn't end well for them. It ended in deep distress and darkness. The history of Judah and Israel was cyclical. You could see this happen again and again and again. We talked about how they ping-ponged from good kings to bad kings. They ping-ponged from worshiping God to worshiping idols to doing really, like, like terrible things like sacrificing their children and so when they submitted themselves to God they experienced blessing and peace when they told God to buzz off and did their own thing death and disaster it did not go well so their self-rule or self-government apart from God's plan taking the reins led them away from peace it was total freedom but it wasn't true freedom and so the ironic, like that's the, and that's the lesson, by the way, of the yellow parakeet, right? He had for a moment total freedom, but it wasn't true freedom. He, he was leaving the security, uh, the source that was sustaining his life, a warm house where there weren't any predators. There weren't, wasn't anything that was going to take him out. He flew away as a free bird, but it ended in disaster. We think, we never found him, but we think it ended in disaster. But going our own way isn't true freedom. Apart from God, our hearts lead us into trouble. And that's the reality that God's word speaks again and again. That's what we need to be aware of, of our own hearts. In Jeremiah 7:19, Jeremiah says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Our hearts, the desires of our hearts left to ourselves lead us astray. And if you do all that your heart desires, it doesn't lead you to a good place. It doesn't lead you to a good place. It should go without saying, but just because you desire something, it doesn't make it right. Just because you want something really bad, it doesn't make it right. Like if you're having a hard time with your marriage or in your singleness, an affair is not going to help, right? Pornography is not going to help. Alcohol is not going to help. Right? It just leads you into enslavement to those things. 
And so total freedom isn't true freedom. Total freedom leads us into captivity to our sin. Leads us into captivity to our flesh. We become enslaved by our desires. And our selfishness separates us from the blessing that God wants for us. It's really ultimately a slave to our, ourselves, our, our selfishness, our desires. It's worshiping ourselves other than God, which is, which is where God wants our attention, on him. So no matter how many times God had rescued his people, they always ended up in the same spot. They always chose themselves. They always went back. And so this, this uh, child is showing us that true rescue, it has to be more than just taking over, like a political rescue. It had to be more than changing the laws or winning wars. Israel needed a heart transplant. And we need a heart transplant. We need transformation at a soul level. We need a complete heart change. And we can't do that. So we are helpless and hopeless without it. So God says through the prophet Isaiah, For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. He's saying, this arrival of the child, it will be like this defeat of Midian. Which if you go back to Judges 6, it talks about a, a, a Bible character you may know. I've seen the VeggieTales version, too, so I've, I've really studied. Um, but the story of Gideon, the story of Gideon, uh, it's pretty good. That, that uh, VeggieTales version is great, if, uh, if you've got time. But um, in the time, the time of Gideon was another hard time in Israel's history. They had been enslaved for seven years. Um, the Midianites were so oppressive. It said that it says that the Israelites would go like hide in caves and hang onto cliffs to avoid them. So it was just bad. It was just dark. And so in the midst of their oppression, God sends a mighty warrior, a mighty warrior. Gideon, for all intents and purposes, was not mighty. Uh, he was he was the lowest on the social ladder. He was physically weak. He was like a runt. No one had thought of him as a warrior before, except God went and said, I'm choosing you. You are my mighty warrior. Gideon objects. Doesn't like that idea. Uh, look what it says in, in Judges 6, 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Am I not sending you? I've called you to this. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. So Jesus... God, excuse me, God chooses the, the weakest, most humble um, person to lead his army. I want you. I want you. Maybe it's because he had nothing to, nothing to rely on except God's call. Like, all right, I'm completely inadequate. I'm the worst candidate. Uh, you probably should have cut me off with like the first part of the interview process. But God chooses Gideon. And you may remember Gideon was, was not sure. 
he tested God. He had him, uh, he had him show him signs to show that, yeah, okay, is this really me? Is that, is that really the guy you want? And not only did God choose Gideon, he whittles Gideon's army down from 32,000 to 300 and says, okay, you're going to go take out this mighty army. It's not till they get to the edge of the camp, the, the, the Midian camp at night, that God reveals his plan. God tells Gideon what to do. He tells them, okay, you're going to blow trumpets, or in the VeggieTales version, it's tubas, um, but you're going to blow trumpets, you're going to break jars, you're going to make as much noise of, as possible outside of the camp. And this is what happens in, in uh, Judges 7:19. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And while each man held his position around the camp, all the Midians, Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to uh, Beth Shida, towards Zerorah, as far as the order of Abel Mehola, near Tabith. I should have probably practiced these names. Um, yeah. From Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. So because God was in charge and they went with God's plan, it worked out. It was flawless. It, it truly was a miracle. And because God had picked the person, God's champion was in charge, it worked perfect. This was a, a man with nothing to offer. All he could offer was obedience to the Lord, and that was enough. And, and so... Um, and so God, again, why he connects this story here in, in uh, Isaiah is God, again, works through humble means. You know what the answer for all of this darkness is? A baby, a child. See, it's amazing. God always, God always comes into our world sort of through the periphery, sort of through the edge. He could have just arrived on a, on a, on a horse and, and coming down from the clouds like, like we see in Revelation later, but he could have just come and said, this is it. But no, God enters the world through the humblest of means, uh, through Gideon and, and now through this child. God loves, loves humility. When we choose to trust him over ourselves, humility recognizes that our own self-rule isn't good, that we need to trust God and his judgments, not our own. Humility is a sign that we're content under the rule of God, that we're not trying to, to, to pull the reins from him, that we're okay to be under the rule of God. Jesus enters the world in the humblest way imaginable, not as a mighty warrior, but as a child, as a newborn king. And this is God's plan. It says in verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The answer for all this distress, all this chaos in the world, 
is a child. God sends his own son. And that's why we celebrate every year. It says that the government will be placed on his shoulders. Why is that significant? What does it mean for the government to be placed on Christ's shoulders? That means we can take it off of our shoulders. We've seen, we've seen the evidence that, that our self-rule is not good. We've seen the chaos that the world has lived under. And so this is an all-encompassing. We take, we take the, 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 uh, the self-rule of the world and of ourselves, and we put that on Christ. It's a burden we were never meant to carry. It's something that we give to Christ, and we experience the freedom of having that burden released. Because it means that spiritual oppression in our hearts and our world will cease. It means that we can have victory over desires that are self-destructive. And it means that we can be remade into the image of Christ. All, all when we take, take that burden of self-rule off our shoulders and we put it on Christ. Because the truth that Isaiah is getting at is that Jesus is a good ruler. He's a good ruler. He's kind. He's gracious. And he knows the best way forward. Jesus does not oppress us. He sets us free, true freedom, which is secure relationship with God. That's true freedom according to the Bible, is a secure relationship with God. The lie that the devil would want you to believe is that submitting to Jesus is oppressive. That was the lie in the garden with the serpent questioning God's intentions for you. And that's still the lie today is that, oh man, if I give up my self-rule and I submit myself to following Christ, that is oppressive. Well, I just want you to bring, bring you back to these words. Who is Jesus? A wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, meaning his relationship with us is like a father, and the prince of peace. That's true freedom. That's not total freedom. That's true freedom. True freedom is unhindered connection to a very good God. Unhindered. Nothing between you and God. That is freedom. Jesus is described as a wonderful counselor. He's the best counselor. Because, as John 1 says, in him was life, and, the, and, um, and that life was the light of all mankind. Jesus is the light of the world. That's what we celebrate. That's what we sing. Like, he shows us what's true about ourselves, about humanity, about God. And in him is life. Life, the life that we all crave but can't find on our own. Jesus sets our hearts free. And his counsel is wonderful. It's not oppressive. It's not oppressive. It's wonderful. And as we dive into God's word, we receive wonderful counsel from God. That's why we're encouraging you to, to have a Bible reading plan this year. We, we put the app up there because, it, frankly, it's great. Like, it's very easy. Um, it, and, and it has, if you want to use your phone, you can do it all on your phone. You can take the, or you can take the, the passages and, and, uh, and read your, your uh, paper Bible. But it is a great way to get started. So, um, and as we dive into God's word, we, get, we spend time with the wonderful counselor. 
If you go back to Judges, the way that they describe the world is something that rings true then, now, all throughout the ages. They said everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's the, that's the definition of self-rule. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. You know another word for that? Chaos, right? Chaos. That's darkness. And so this, that phrase comes from the book of Judges to describe the describe how Israel was living. There was a time when Israel lived just like the rest of the world. God's people lived just like the rest of the world. They all did what was right in, its own, in their own eyes. It's interesting that even when we're at the helm, when, when we're calling the shots apart from God, we still look for affirmation. We just don't look for that affirmation from God. I saw this article this week, and I thought it was really interesting. It came out two years ago. But it's an article from Psychology Today. It's not a Christian article or anything. It's from Psychology Today, it's called Using Social Media for Reassurance and Validation. Who's already convicted here, all right? <laughs> Use, using Social Media for Reassurance and Validation by Dr. Bonnie Zucker. As she said that many people are going to social media to get reassurance for their insecurities and that it's not an effective way to address their problems. And if you have used social media, you probably know to some extent what that feeling is like. I mean, when you post something, don't you want like 200 replies? Everybody say, you're awesome, right? You want, I mean, come on. All of us want a little bit of affirmation. And this is, this is a quote from her article. This is what she says is the heart of the problem. She says, for some frequent reassurance seeking is addictive, almost like a drug. The likes and comments are a temporary fix. While they might feel better at the moment, the positive effects are usually short-lived because they come from others and not from within themselves. However, they might be inclined to post again the next time they feel low because they get that burst of reassurance. So this is a psychologist talking. It's like we talk about the dopamine hits from social media and stuff like that. This is a, a psychologist talking that that it can, the approval of others only carries us for a very little while. And yet we continually seek it because I think, I think there's something in all of us that wants to make sure we're doing the right thing. We're doing the right thing. Deep down, we know we're not the ultimate authority on what's right and what's true. We, we're looking, we crave something or someone to validate us. And so without God, we turn to others to seek that affirmation that we crave, but it doesn't work. And so Zucker points that there's a problem within us. I just want to ride that for a minute. There is, there's something broken within us, and she doesn't connect it to, the, the, to King Jesus, but I will. All right, I'm going to. I'm going to. There is a need in us for true affirmation for true freedom, that I don't just live however I want, but I live the right way. And the only place we can have true affirmation is from God, the one who created us, the one who designed us. No one can fill the role that Jesus can in your life because no one else holds the light of life. No one else is the light. Only Christ so that soul, that affirmation that your soul craves is only found in Christ. That affirmation that you want only comes when you submit to him. When he says, well done, 
my good and faithful servant. When you're walking in his will, when you experience his peace, it's so much greater. It's so much greater than looking for that affirmation elsewhere. And that doesn't just have to be on social media. That could be in any way we engage with, with friends or family. But it says in, in uh, Isaiah 9-6 that, that this child is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. I just want to end with that idea that, that this child would be the Prince of Peace for a people that had experienced physical war and internal war for centuries. Jesus would be the Prince of Peace. And that peace starts right here. Peace only comes from God. I think sometimes when we talk about freedom, what we really want is, is peace. We really want peace from God. We really want the surety of knowing um, that, that we're connected to God. Because total freedom means we can fly the coop, we can go our own way, we can make a home outside on the fir tree, but that's going to be that's going to be short-lived. Jesus, Jesus is God's gift of peace now and forever. Jesus is that that security that we all crave. It says of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Like God is a God, God is like firm and passionate in this this choice to send his son. So broken Israel, dark world, this is it. This is what you've been waiting for. This is it. Christ the King. And here's the crazy thing about the kingdom of Christ. That he doesn't come with swords, he doesn't come aggressively. He comes and invites you in. That's how this kingdom spreads. Not with wars, not, not, not by force, but by invitation. See, Jesus came to, came to establish his kingdom on the earth through individual human hearts. If they believe in his name, if they choose Jesus, that's how this kingdom spreads. He never comes in demanding that you change demanding that you you make changes he shows up on the periphery of your life on the edge of your understanding and reveals himself he shows up humbly and he knocks on the door of your heart and the choice is yours you choose what to do with jesus you choose to let him in or not this is what it says in revelation 319 this is this is uh, at the, towards the end of the Bible in, in the, the prophecies found in Revelation. Um, but this is actually Jesus speaking to the church. And he says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my Father on his throne. This is how Jesus invites himself in. He knocks on the doors of our hearts. 
He invites us to a table where we have relationship with him. To, to converse, to talk, to share life with. Jesus shows us that God is not distant, but that God actually wants relationship. Because this kingdom looks like sitting across the table from a friend, from a wonderful counselor, from the Prince of Peace. He's not a crazy king. He's not oppressive. He's kind. He's a wonderful counselor, mighty God, and our true source of soul affirmation. And so what I want to invite you to do is to say yes to Jesus this Christmas. Maybe for the first time, but maybe God wants you to recenter your heart on Christ. Maybe you've been really distracted this year, really distracted in this season, and it's time to just come back to the table. It's, it's time to have fellowship with Christ again, to enjoy being with God. Maybe, maybe you, there's some tension between you and God. You've been doing your own thing. And like trying to sprinkle a little bit of God in here and there, it's time. It's time to just get, get back, as it says, like, be earnest, be honest with God and repent. Be like, you can have it all. God, you can have it all. You can have it all. And if you're in a, if you're in a place where you're submitted to God and it feels dark still, I want you to catch the first part of Revelation 3. Jesus says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Now, that word discipline, it doesn't mean punish. It means to train like a child. I train you up. I help you grow. I put you in a place where you have to trust me, and, and you grow in the knowledge of God, and, and you, you grow in the gifts that God has for you. you. So you might live in that space where... Life's really hard right now. But know that God loves you and he's training you in your season. He's training you up to be more like Christ. And you can take it from me that discipline can be painful at times. It can be painful, but it is so good. The end result is good. It's fellowship with God. It's depth. It's character. It's a heart that, that shows more of the fruits of the Spirit. So that, that discipline is good. Jesus takes great interest and care to train you because you are a child of God. You are a child of God. You are important to him, and he loves you. What this speaks to is that God is not a busy dad who ignores us. God is not an abusive dad who hurts us. God is a good, good father who is invested in our lives, who sits across the table from us who loves us with all of his heart. Sometimes he treats us like Gideon. We're completely inadequate and we're thrust into something that we don't really know how to operate in and we have to trust God. Sometimes our training looks like that. But there's always that place at the table to have that conversation with God. So I just want to say this. If you feel like you're in a place this morning where you need prayer, if you're in a dark place, or if you're just ready to say yes to Jesus, um, Karma and I are going to be right over here. We would love to pray for you. Um, and let's, uh, let's go ahead and do that. Worship team can come on up. I'm going to pray just as we, uh, 
as we close this morning. Lord, Lord, we love you. Thank you for what you offer. Thank you for making a way. Thank you for not leaving humanity in distress and despair, but revealing yourself, sending your son, the light of the world, who all life is in. And so, Lord, I pray that more than anything, that we would see the light of the world and experience the light of the world this Christmas. Christmas is worth celebrating year after year after year because Jesus is the only one worthy of our lives, of giving our lives to. And the fact that you cared and you didn't leave us in darkness, but you revealed yourself through your son Jesus so that we could know you and have fellowship with you and experience true freedom. We celebrate that this morning. Lord, may your name be on our lips this Christmas. May your name be on our hearts this Christmas. May we align our lives to, to, to live for you. Lord, would you even work on our hearts, God, if there are things that you want to talk about. May we come to the table this Christmas. May we pray. May we, may we invest in, in, in community, confess, do the things we need to do so that we can stand with you and before you and sit across the table from you without anything in the middle. Jesus, we want you. Jesus, we want more of you. And we thank you, God, for your work in our lives, being the light of the world, invading our space, invading our darkness, God. And we know, we feel our darkness. Lord, illuminate it. God, God illuminate it with your love. God, show us your love this, this season. Help us to be more like Christ, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want you to stand. Uh, we're going to worship this morning. And if you want prayer, don't, don't be shy. Just, just come forward.